Hello and welcome back to the Searching Inward podcast brought to you by Restore Small Groups. Um, I'm George Stahl, your host today, sitting here with Scott Reel and Anna Bryant. And we are so glad that you joined us uh, today on the podcast and we hope it's going to be an encouragement to you uh, on the journey. Uh, we are talking about total integration today, a big word, integration. Um, and uh, we're talking about lifelong transformational process of becoming whole, which many of us, uh, perhaps some of us don't realize that transformation is a lifelong process. It isn't something that happens in an instant. Um, it's something that does. We spend our entire lives doing that, and it's good work. And today we want to talk about integration and how that helps us in the transformational process. So let's get started. Let's just jump right into it. Anna? Um, you you want to help us understand the way our brains operate. That's a great place to get started, so please help okay. us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am no neuroscientist, but I have done um, a fair amount of reading just to understand uh, the brain and how it operates. Uh, specifically, I got interested in this when I was working with uh, the refugee um kids at my last nonprofit that I was serving in. And these kids have been through a lot of trauma. And so they really had a hard time um, regulating their behavior because their brain is on fire all the time. And so <laughs> doing a little uh, research, uh, we came across the triune brain theory. Uh, it actually has been around since the 60s. Uh, Paul McLean is the one that kind of developed this theory. And it's basically that um, the things that make our brain distinctly human um, is that we have the neocortex, which um, is different than mammals who have both their um, brain stem, which is considered like the, the lizard or reptile brain. Um, so that's that's common across the whole animal kingdom. Mammals, they uh, share the limbic system, which would house things like emotions, memories, habits. But the thing that makes uh, humans unique and distinct is our neocortex. And that would be um, the part of the brain where like language, abstract thought, imagination, consciousness, rationalization is all housed there. Um, the problem is, is that um, our basic reptile brain, that's where like our flight or fight is uh, housed. When that is stimulated, the rest of our brain is not, um, is not operating at optimal levels. So that kind of takes over, it drives the ship. And so um, we're often not able to process our emotions properly and make rational decisions when our fight or flight um, region of our brain is activated and so understanding that, um, we can hopefully develop some strategies to integrate all parts of our brain to operate and work together. Well, let's talk about that for a moment here. Scott, do you have anything to add to that? Um, it's like we're talking about our nervous system and how it works. And it sounds like there are, uh, there's obviously three different parts, but the two parts that are distinct, there's this one part that's activated instantly. It's like an emergency state that I'm hearing mm -hmm. you say, Anna. Yes. And it prepares the body for action, and it's very responsive. And then there's another part that is maybe moves in more gradually um, that we can begin to process where we can rest and heal. And so there are these two things going on, and we're trying to live out of the more healthy one that isn't like fight and flight. We're trying to live out of one where we can rest and heal and become integrated. Scott, what, where, where does this begin with you on total integration? 
Well, for, first of all, just I can, I can, I know now at this stage of my life through my awareness of when I'm disintegrated, when I'm living through disintegrated choices. And just it was just like two weeks ago I had an experience. Um, I have a, I have a friend, a new friend, and um, and the, they asked, "Hey, to bring your dog with you when you come over tonight." So and they have a dog. So I went over to their house with my dog, and I was really anxious. I wanted you know, my dog to have a great experience, or them to have a good experience with my dog. Kind of like a double date. <laughs> <laughs> it was. And um, so when we got there, and everything was going great. We played ball in the backyard, and the two dogs together, and everything was going great. And then uh, later we went in the house, and, and my dog named Daisy, and Daisy was doing really good. Um, and their dog... Uh, uh, I I got some food, and the two dogs got between me and the food, and they got in a little tussle. <laughs> and just like that, I felt this feeling of shame that wow. everything that I wanted to have happen, because it was really important to me that my dog got along with their dog, and I thought, that's, that's it. And immediately, something in me just changed. And, and this is what I would call becoming disintegrated spiritually and mentally, emotionally. Um, I said, I got to go. And I just, I did. I just left. I took my dog and I just went home. And um, and so, and I was anxious all the way. And I was anxious all the way home and that evening and the next day. And I was just so struggling with it. Um, and then I went to God with it and began to process, why am I feeling so shameful, defeated, uh, I felt hopeless, um, I did not like who I was, did not, and, and then that's why I thought back that when I was little, growing up, I was an athlete playing sports, and, um, and just also just being a child in my home, I wanted everyone to be happy, I wanted everyone to have a good experience with life, and whatever I could do, which in a family of origin, they would kind of call that the hero child. I wanted people to be happy. So because of what that meant was if I could control my family being happy, the coaches, you know, liking me, which would mean I get to play, you know, um, then life seemed livable. I was trying to control what I really could not control. But as soon as my family didn't get along or something happened, I felt that same, I would run and run away. We had a, and we had a basement. I would just run down the basement and play basketball. We had a little bucket down there, and I would just avoid being around. The, and then as an athlete, if you remember, I was playing sports in the 60s and 70s. Um, a lot of those school coaches' technique was to, um, to really humiliate you. You know, why did you do that? It was so stupid. You're weak. You know? And when I would get that, I would want to run away. And that's when I realized that that was coming from a lower place in me um, and was driven by shame and fear. And, uh, and so I reconciled with my friend. Uh, I, cause, and I learned, and we, and we actually grew closer together. Um, I don't know about me and my dog being closer, but... <laughs> but Are you no. still mad at your dog? <laughs> <laughs> but no, but it, it's interesting. It was coming from a such much bigger place. Yeah. And so the integrated place would be that I could be present in those situations. Um, it's a, it's, and it's awareness to think 
beyond just what's happening in the moment. Like, that's the thing, as you got further away from what was happening in the moment, you had this awareness that this is coming from a deeper place. And that's what integration is. It's that we have these quick responses to things, and we don't really know where they're coming from. And it's not always just what's happening in the moment or right in front of us. Right. And so if if you look at the depth of that, if we have a paradigm, and the paradigm is how I, I believe and see everything about myself, then all of our responses come from that. And well, I realize that's still intact in me, that fear of disappointing anyone and anything, and then feeling of being rejection is going to come. And so I run. If it's fight or flight, it's the same, but it's not healthy. Yeah, and it resulted in you having a conversation with your friend that brought you closer together, and we're still praying that you're going to be reconciled with your dog at some point. (laughs) But Anna, the... Um, kind of what you were talking about with the triune brain theory is thinking out of that part of our brain, the unhealthy part, the the part that's not integrated, that uh, it could lead to prolonged stress, which causes our body to be in an alarm state for an abnormal or extended period of time, which is not healthy. And I think that's what is so important that you guys are saying that um, to actually think and process and be an integrated person is to understand that what we think, what is in our brains and how we're using our brains affects our entire being, our entire body. So uh, let's talk a little bit about that because, you know, with the neuroscience of the last few decades here, we're learning that our brains can change. We could reshape and rewire and it's a thing called neuroplasticity. So I don't know, one of you guys want to jump in on that, that we're not helpless here. And I think what you're talking about, to have an awareness, to begin to think about these things and to begin to process them, they can lead to real change that integrates our lives where we can have more well-being and health. Yes, um, agreed. Um, neuroplasticity means that the way, the, the neuropathways within our brains um, they tend to go along the same paths with our thoughts, like our thought patterns repeat themselves. And so if we, um, if our amygdala is stimulated and we are in that fight or flight response, um, our, our thoughts tend to go down the same paths and therefore our responses tend to go down the same paths. But we have learned that if we can become aware of that, if we can become aware of our responses that we are in fight or flight, that we can um, do some things to regulate our bodies in order to access the other parts of our brain so that we can be in in tune with our emotions and our logic and reason. And therefore, we can um, begin to build new neuropathways. We can begin to develop a new way of thinking and so that our responses, which typically would be look a certain way in a flight or flight fight or flight situation uh, can be changed. Scott, how long does it take to build a new neural pathway? I'd say about 21 days. 21 days. So and what Anna's saying goes two ways, is what they say. The good news is, yes, the brain has the ability through our entire lifetime to change. It's plastic. But so, and Gerald May says um, that the brain never forgets what it learns. Well, once a neural pathway is deeply ingrained, it's entrenched. It's, it's not easy. It's hard work. That's what Dr. Caroline Leaf talks about. So the good news is, yes, I can by being intention, intentional every day of capturing my thoughts and 
and responding with integrated, I call them integrated choices, integrated responses. If I do that for 21 days, a new neural pathway can grow. They say that neurons that wire, to, neurons that wire together fire together. And so consistency is very, very important. So actually last night in our uh, Journey to Freedom group, I gave the participants a card at the end of the, of the meeting, and I asked them, so we were talking about these thoughts that come up, and what, especially these, these narratives that have been consistently negative. And I asked them all, do you have a pretty strong negative narrative that pops up? It's just all, you know. And they said, you should have heard what I said to myself, one of the participants, because I took the wrong route to get to group. I just berated myself all the way here. And it's so it's like it's, it, it's instinctive because it is, it's physiological, it's ingrained. So every day, taking thoughts captive, making integrative choices on my thoughts and on my actions can create a new path. But it is hard work. Would you guys say that self-criticism fires the amygdala? Oh, the, the, yeah. the, the part of our brain that is absolutely not integrating. So our, our shame, I mean, you used the word shame. I mean, these are things that fire the wrong, right. unhealthy parts of our brains. That, uh, that experience I told you about at my friend's house, my dog. I felt so ashamed that my dog got in this tussle over this food. I was, I was sure that, that we were going to be rejected, so I ran away. There's a disintegrated path. Okay, Anna, can you, some terms we're using here that maybe not all of us are, are familiar with. Um, dysregulation, what do you mean by dysregulation when okay. you say that word? Good question. Dysregulation would be our body's response to the neuropathways that are firing in our brain. So um, when our fire flight is um, stimulated or triggered, um, our, our body becomes dysregulated. So our What's happening in our brain, what our brain is perceiving, actually manifests itself within our body. So things like uh, your heart rate will jump, you can be, um, start to sweat, you feel spaced out, you're at a loss for words, you can't remember where you are, you feel scattered, you trip over things, drop things, lose things, your, uh, your voice and facial expression can become flat, you become enraged, um, or like parts of your body become numb. All of those are different um, manifestations within our physical body um, that can signify to us and help us become aware that actually we're experiencing fight or flight right now. Like our amygdala is firing and we need to respond in a way that is intentional. Um, and those are kind of like just the warning flags that, hey, something is going on that I need to pay attention to right now. There's a bi-directional highway from our brain to our body is what you're saying. Like yes. there is real things that we could pay attention to in our awareness and inner integration that we feel and that we're experiencing uh, physiologically. I've even heard people talk about blood flow and digestion. Yes. And right. um, uh, our immune system, uh, creativity. All these things are affected by us not being fully integrated. Uh, satisfying friendships like you've mentioned, Scott, or relationships. Yeah, these things... But as you said, Scott, rewiring the brain takes a lot of practice and patience and time. And we kind of started off with transformation. Is it's a, it's a long process. Um, Scott, could you give us an example of maybe how that plays out? 
for you? Right. I mean, first of all, physically, physically I feel it. I, I do. I get tense. Um, and I, and I, I go back to um, The Soul of Shame by Dr. Thompson, which was just so powerful. Because years ago, I read Healing at Shame Advisor by Bradshaw, which was kind of the breakthrough book on, on the role of toxic shame. But then he took it, and uh, Thompson says that, that shame is basically a very, very, very negative spiritual force, that it thwarts God's plan of our expansion, which would be that I grow into my true self and I've reached my full potential. Um, Jesus said, I came that you would have life and have it to the fullest. This is, again, why I think Christ is a paradigm in that. So what I, what I know I'm disintegrated is I'm still seeing myself through this old lens of shame. Um, and I experience fight or flight right off the bat. Um, I want to get away because where I want to go with this is ultimately to me it comes down to the core desire. I want you to love me. Now that can be expressed that you think I'm capable, that um, I have my life has meaning, there's purpose, that I'm inherently good. I mean, but it ultimately, as May says, it's love. And so when I feel that that is threatened, that I'm going to be exposed that I'm inadequate in some form or fashion, I'm just not enough, and you're going to say, no, I don't love you. That's what it's going to feel like to me. That's disintegration. And that, where I want to go with this is, that triggers my addictions. Yes. That is why. So then when we go back to that path that I think I've talked about before, so um, you have the trigger, the trigger for me is I, I, I have a disintegrated emotional experience. That leads to the obsession. Now I start obsessing about my attachment, whether that's food, alcohol, drugs, sex, whatever it is we go to. Then the moves down into the ritual, which is where now I'm physically making the move to use my obsession. And then we end up at the compulsion. And then whatever that is, and Brene Brown says, we numb Whatever it is we choose to numb with. So, so becoming, living in an integrated life with Christ and becoming whole is finding that place. And it's physiological, creating the new neural pathways, but it's, it's a spiritual process. That's why the, when Paul said it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, that just every year that verse takes on such more and more meaning to me. That's the full final integration. That is an integrated life there. And um, he's not afraid. He's not living in fear. He knows that he's loved. He's, he's not living in his past. He's not bound to his, you know, you talk about new neural pathways. <laughs> that was, the, uh, you guys don't mind if you could be a little personal. Um, I think that would help all of us just know how you got how this plays out in your guys' lives. So, Anna, you want to go first? Yeah, I, I will. Um, I think uh, just recognizing that when we are disintegrated and um, we have not um, learned how to um, regulate our our brain activity, and so when we're flight or flight is triggered and we can't access our emotions and our logic in a proper way, um, it doesn't just affect us like yes we go down those same neuropathways and we tend to have those same responses but it 
it affects everyone in our lives. And um, unfortunately, I grew up in a home where, where my mom was the recipient of a massive amount of trauma in her life. And so um, my relationship with her has been complicated through the years. Um, and uh, several years ago, she had come, I was living on the West Coast, and she flew out to um, come and stay with my kids for a couple of days so that um, my husband and I could get away. We were just kind of in a, a place where we needed a little reset. So they flew in and um, were going to stay with the kids for a couple of days. We were going to go away for two nights. Um, and uh, one of the girls, they had a book that she had given them. And I have three kids, two girls and one boy. And um, the girls were fighting over the book. <laughs> um, and my mom had... Uh, been the recipient of a lot of abuse from her older sister. And so just witnessing my girls fight over a storybook, it triggered her. And she started immediately wailing and shaking and crying and saying, I can't do this. I have to go home. I can't stay and watch your kids. Uh, you can't go on your trip. Uh, one of my children was supposed to go and spend a week with her that summer. She went so far to tell my 11-year-old daughter, you cannot come to see me now because of what you did, because she fought <laughs> over a book uh, with her sister. And that is a pretty extreme example of dysregulation, and you can just imagine the emotional trauma that came with that one from an 11 year old girl who doesn't understand any of that. And then also for me, who is stuck in the middle of trying to love my mother well and understanding she's been through massive trauma in her life, but I also have to love my children and how, how can I, how can, how can I do this? So um, just to say like, it's not a small thing to um, rewire your neuropathways but I would encourage you to do it, to, to do that for the people that you love, because if you cannot um, get beyond that, you're going to, like, you're going to injure some people that you don't want to injure in your life. And you guys are talking about very difficult work. I mean, it's soul work that's individual to what's happening within us. But then, as, actually, as you begin to grow in that kind of awareness, you begin to recognize it in others other people that you love and friendships and so there is this understanding of integration not only happening in you but happening around you whether yes. it is or whether it isn't and that is very, very difficult work to do um, once we're aware uh, we are dysregulated how can we recover? That becomes the question for us now. So that's what we want to begin to move toward is um, now that we're aware of these things that are going on in our brain, um, connected to our body and how we're experiencing things physiologically, how we're thinking about things, how we're reacting, how we're carrying stress in that fight and flight, you know, for prolonged periods and a damage that's doing to our well-being. How do we recover from that? That is the question. So uh, you guys have some activities. I'd love to know. Uh, what practices, what activities you guys do um, to fully integrate? So maybe one that's personal to you, and then maybe we could share uh, some of the other ones that other people experience. So why don't we start with you, Scott? What, um, what's one of your most important practices and how you recover? You know, practice is a good word, which means you do it 
a daily basis. Because what we're talking about here, this, this type work requires consistency day to day, like Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, so I do centering prayer. I use uh, Father Keating's app, and I've read all his books. But um, sometimes I do it throughout the day, especially if I'm under a stressful time and I am struggling with disintegrated choices and thoughts. Um, centering prayer is just, they recommend twice a day for about 20 minutes. Um, and you just you just get into a very quiet space. And the idea is, is to slow the thought processes down to stop thinking and to be in a place of listening to God, to being present. Um, and so I usually I try to do 20 minutes, and um, I usually use a word like Jesus or grace is one of my favorite words. And what they tell you is that whenever, um, so if I start to think about the day or think about a meeting i got to do or even a feeling I'm feeling, you just immediately just gently in your mind, say that word. So I would I'd say grace. And um, and then so eventually it just slows everything down and I'm just in a state of quietness. Use the word slow down. So it's not, you're not trying to fight the thoughts or to... No, fighting thoughts actually strengthens thoughts. Yeah, so, so you're slowing down and then you are practicing something that is creating new neural pathways, which is using words like grace. And so I, I just want to make that clear that it's it's slowing things down, not shutting your brain off. Exactly. It's just quieting it so that I can hear. And so it has had a profound effect on me um, because instead of me sitting there telling God all the stuff I need, all the stuff I need, all the stuff I need, I'm just being present with God, and that's become a big part of my practice, is um, just enjoying the peaceful presence of God versus having, again, a transactional, consistent relationship where it's constantly about things and things and things and things and bringing my daily life in. And uh, uh, so that slowing down, quieting down. And then we do, I do that now with my groups. We take about just two minutes at the beginning and two minutes at the end to get centered. Um, and so uh, that's a practice that I've been, it's a very powerful impact. Centering on prayer. Thank you, Scott. Um, how about you, Anna? What's, what's your favorite practice yeah, to recover? I do love the centering prayer, um, and I do practice that well as well. But when I feel myself becoming dysregulated physically, like I feel my heart rate right, rising and I, you know, I know that that, fight or flight is being stimulated. Um, I can do some real simple activities to try to integrate actually the parts of my brain to keep them communicating with one another so that fight or flight doesn't take over. The amygdala isn't like dominating. So doing simple things like actually moving the right and left sides of your body together because your brain operates each side separately. And so if you can be uh, integrating your body movements even doing things like yoga or like walking while you're pumping your arms right and left, um, that is going to help actually regulate your brain. Um, breathing deeply actually brings oxygen, your, oxygen to your brain, which also is going to help like stimulate your neocortex. Um, so I often um, am just finding myself <laughs> taking deep breaths because I can feel in my body what's happening in my brain. And so to regulate that, I do a lot of breathing. Um, 
along and once I can feel like my heart rate slow and myself becoming more regulated then I'm more in a place where I can like maybe focus in on some centering prayer or do some meditation um, or practice mindfulness all of those things are very helpful but I find that I have to do the physical work first of like breathing deeply integrating the left and right side of my brain by moving both parts of my body um, to be able to focus my mind enough to use centering prayer. Yeah, and then just the mindfulness. Um, I So what I try to, I'm trying to learn for myself, but also incorporate it into our groups now is, is the value of just one day from when you wake up to when you go to sleep, kind of taking that whole day as an opportunity to participate with God and to be in a spiritual practice. So a simple thing as doing my dishes, cleaning my house, making something eat, being mindful and being present, um, it, it all starts to accumulate. Um, but again, taking that verse, all thoughts captive, it means so much more. So it's, it's holding on to integrative thoughts, integrative choices throughout my day. And... Um, I liked for our participants that each day is an opportunity to co-create with God, this person I'm growing into, um, and the impact my life can have um, by first becoming. And how do I become? I practice the presence of God and um, in, in, in integrative thoughts because you'd be surprised if you are not paying attention just how many thoughts run awry in a day that that take you off the path and and t- can take us down into what I call our shadow life, those lower regions of the brain there where the disintegrated choices are all about. So integration, it's mind, body, and spirit. That's yeah. what I'm hearing you guys say. Like Anna's talking about movement as your thinking and processing, um, how that connects the brain to the body. Scott, you're talking about the spirit. This is what full integration is. It's all three of those at work in a beautiful way that does bring healing uh, to our lives. Are there any other practices that we haven't covered? I know one of my favorite is, you guys might be surprised, is singing. I don't know if you guys, I'm, I'm not a great singer, but in the shower or just when I hear a good song, I love to belt out something because um, it activates the, the vagus nerve, I've heard someone say, which leads to specific body functions, the digestion, heart rate, um, your immune system. And so I've learned sometimes just singing yeah. um, when no one else is listening, but uh, unless you are a singer. But, uh, yeah, that, that could be very helpful. Go ahead, Scott. And, you, and a big one for me is what Anna mentioned, and that is walking. Um, yeah. Because walking gets rhythmic. And our brain can get into a, to a nice place um, if we're intentional. So um, mindfulness, mindful walking, um, centering walking, you know, just I do the same thing. When I go for my walk, I'm trying to let go and just be present. And I use that word when I start to think. And just all of a sudden I've spent an hour or however long you walk um, practicing the presence of God. And, and integrating that my spirit, mind, and my body versus I see, I, I mean, I've done it too. I see people, but they're on their phones or doing, you know, they're, they're still not 
present. Tasking versus being. Oh, yes. that's a great phrase. Tasking yeah. versus being. So integration is more being than it is creating yeah. a list of tasks. That's part of what these practices are inviting us to. Things that is, we don't want to add more things to our list and make us feel worse. We're trying to find things that bring freedom and joy and are a gift to us. One, one thing that we didn't mention is gratitude. Yeah, um, that's a good a place to start for you know that's and maybe for some it's it's hard to find something to be grateful for, but I think we all can. And I don't know if you guys have heard, but um, I've heard that, like, uh, negative experiences stick to us like Velcro. And, uh, you know, positive experiences, they say, are more like Teflon. So the positive things can slip away faster, you know, out of our memory, out of our thinking. But, it, you know, it's, it's the, the bad experiences that tend to stick to us. So, but I think gratitude is, is just a beautiful way to, to open up our hearts to what you guys are talking about. Well, I want to give you guys one final chance, each of you. One final word on this integration, something that's important to you that our listeners need to hear. Um, so, Anna, you, is there anything that you... I would say it's hard work, but it's work worth doing for yourself and for the people that you love. Find a way to integrate your personal story uh, with your present reality and um, become the full self that you were created to be. That's, that's beautiful. Scott? Two things. Um, first of all is what we would call final integration, the, the, the last chapter in that integrative process. I wanted to read, I read this years ago from Henry Nouwen's book, Seeds of Hope. Um, he has a little, two paragraphs, what he calls the final integration. Um, and it's like, it really does capture the whole message of it. He says, final integration. It's not enough that Jesus is my teacher, my guide, my source of inspiration. It's not even enough that he is my companion on the journey, my friend and my brother. Jesus must become the heart of my heart, the fire of my life, the lover of my soul, the bridegroom of my spirit. He must become my only thought, my only concern, my only desire. The thousands of people, events, ideas, and plans that occupy my inner life must become all one in the one, and only name Jesus. I know that I have to move from speaking about Jesus to letting him speak within me, from thinking about Jesus to letting him think within me, from acting for and with Jesus to letting him act through me. I know the only way for me to see the world is to see it through his eyes. Everything has to become very simple, very unified, integrated, very focused. It is no longer a question of being up-to-date or well-informed. At this moment in history, my own as well as that of the world, I have to go to the very center of my being, the center where time touches eternity, where earth and heaven meet, where God's word becomes human flesh, where death and immortality embrace. There is no longer a question of options with an unmistakable clarity. I have heard a voice saying, give me everything and I will give you everything. That is one of the most, when I read that years ago, I said, that's it. That's the path. That's the journey. Um, and then, as I've said before, when Gerald May at the end of Addiction and Grace says the final stage of transformation, he says is when we consecrate our journey. It's no longer about God is the antidote that I'm going to use to get me off whatever I'm trying to struggle with, free from. But I'm just saying, yes, just, I just want to be with you. You and I become one. 
that's everything and that's enough. And I think that's what Noun is saying, that's the integration. And I realize as I continue on this journey in my own life that I still have attachments that I'm going to apart from God, that I'm still clinging to as, as a source um, to give my life meaning and purpose and that. And, and, they, and, they, and I know they don't work, but they're still there. So the kenosis, the kinetic effect of letting those go, emptying those out so that the divine can pour in. Um, I'm on my way. I'm getting closer to that every, every day that we do this work, that we're conscious and aware. That's the path. I love how flesh and blood, sweat and tears, like the experience of Christ that you're talking about, it's it's something in our acting, in our thinking, in our doing. It like it, it's the integrated life. And you're right, that that is the path. And the truth is we're all working on that in some way, shape, or form. And our our hope is that no one is doing it alone. So uh we hope you've been encouraged by this conversation. Um we know everyone is wrestling with something, and we just, if you need change, uh, Restore can help. And we would love for you to reach out to us and um, embrace the change you need. But the thing we all agree on is that change is possible, and hope can grow in our lives no matter where we find ourselves. So uh, you can find us online, restoresmallgroups.org, and learn more about the upcoming groups we have, both in person and online. But until next time, take care, friends. Um, Scott, you had a personal example of disintegration with Gloria and the daisies. Um, would you, would you, you mind sharing that? <laughs> Good cut. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. what happened? Daisy is the dog that he oh, took over to geez, his friend, oh, Gloria. Yeah, I already told that story. Yeah, I've already. <laughs> I was wondering what I said. I've already told you. <laughs> <laughs>